Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I am the lead pastor here at Westminster. It's great to see all of you here. And thanks to all of you who are joining us online. Thank you, especially to those of you who are joining us for the first time. We're very thankful that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, we are starting a new series. Uh, we finished the Joy series. Last week we had uh, David McIntosh, who preached a great sermon to us, and, uh, but now we're moving forward into the holidays, and we're going to be uh, doing a series on responding to Jesus, responding to Jesus, and we'll talk more about what that means as we look at our passages, our passage today. Um, we will be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. We'll actually be in this passage for a couple of weeks. And then we'll look at some other passages in the future. But for today, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. This is what God's Word says. Uh, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and... Have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed 
all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Let me pray for us. Father, this portion of your word ends on a very somber note. And in fact, this passage is very sobering to see the response that Herod had to you. At the same time, there is a beautiful response of the wise men. And Lord, we want to be more like those wise men than we do want to be like Herod. So, Holy Spirit, will you work in us today, whether we're believer or not, that we would respond to Jesus favorably, that we would respond to Jesus with real faith, with real repentance, with real obedience, that we would respond to Jesus with real love. And only you can work that in our hearts So do that, Holy Spirit, for your glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one true God. Amen. Well, you know, it's that time of year when many of us are on the lookout for special items to give to our loved ones for Christmas. For some of those gifties, it's really easy to find a gift that they like. But then there's always those hard-to-find-a-gift-for folks. You know who I'm talking about. So if you've been having trouble finding a gift for someone, I would ask you to allow me to share a few gift ideas I've found recently. Maybe they'll be helpful to you. First, beardaments. Beardaments. Is exactly what it sounds like. Ornaments for your beard. Another gift idea that I found this week, Snoop Dogg's cookbook. From crook to cook, with a foreword by Martha Stewart. I am not making that up. And then, there's one that's close to my heart, bacon bandages. Bacon bandages, because who wouldn't want to cover their boo-boos with the healing power of bacon? I knew I'd get an amen on that. And then finally, here's a gift for that person who seems to have everything. Dehydrated water. You can literally buy this on Amazon. Just add water. Those gifts are so out there that they elicit a response from us. Most of us laughed or we thought, that's dumb, that's stupid. Who, who would give a gift like that? And others of you were like, as soon as I get home, 
I'm ordering that. I know exactly who to give it to. But regardless of your response, these gifts brought out a response of all, from all of us, whether it was favorable or not. And if you think about it, the claims about Jesus are very similar because the claims about Jesus are so out there that they elicit a response, right? This is the one who says he is the only way to the Father. This is the one who says he is God in the flesh. This is the one who says he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we hear that, and it should elicit a response from us. People may hear those claims and ignore them. They may question them. They may be curious about them. They may believe them. But every single one of us, every single one of us will respond when we hear a claim about Jesus. We can't help it. Because encountering Jesus requires a response. Requi uh, sorry, encountering Jesus requires a response. Again, let's think about this for a moment. Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, claimed that he is the only way to God the Father. That really rubs against the grain of our society, right? Because our society is accommodating. Our society is egalitarian. Our society is pluralistic. And how dare someone say there's only one way when there's so many different ways? Jesus' claim to be the only way requires a response, whether we agree or we dismiss it. Or think about this. Jesus, well, the scriptures say that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that goes against the grain of our individualistic. Freedom is the highest virtue. I'll do it my way culture. Right? So when we encounter the claims about Jesus, they require a response from us. Even when we are trying to ignore them or dismiss those claims, we are still responding. And over the next few weeks... We're going to be looking at how different people in the scripture responded to Jesus, particularly to his birth. And then we're going to ask the question, how do I respond in light of what we've seen other people responding in the scriptures? That's what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. And I know all of you are probably hoping that we're going to talk about the wise men today, but we're not. We're going to be talking about Herod's response. Herod's response to Jesus and what we can learn from that. And the Herod response, we're going to call it that, the Herod response is to be troubled by Jesus. Not everybody gets excited about Jesus. Sometimes people are troubled by him. And Herod is a great example of what it looks like to be troubled by Jesus. Let's take a look at this passage in brief. In verse 1, we see Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king. And these wise men, they come from the east to Jerusalem. And they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And not only was he troubled, all Jerusalem was troubled with him because of what might happen. 
Now, a little background on Herod, because not all of us are um, really keen on our Herod history. This was Herod the Great. There are many different Herods during this period of time, but this was Herod the Great. Herod, was, Herod the Great was an Idumenian. In other words, he was a descendant of Edom. Uh, in other words, he was a descendant of Esau. So he was part of Abraham's clan, but he was the part that moved away from the living God and served another God. Herod was set up as a ruler of Judea by the Roman government. He wasn't uh, put up there by the people. He wasn't elected. The Roman government said, okay, we need somebody to rule this area. Herod, you're it. And Herod liked to call himself the king of the Jews. So you can imagine that he would really be troubled, he would really be bothered by the fact that these wise men show up and they say, we've seen a sign, a sign of the Messiah, a sign of the King of the Jews. Yeah, of course he would be troubled by that. On top of that, something you may not know just from reading the scriptures, that Herod was paranoid about holding on to his rulership. He was paranoid about holding on to his position as a ruler. So much so that he actually imprisoned and executed some of his own sons. That's why Caesar Augustus is claimed to have said that he would rather be a pig, Herod's pig, than Herod's son. And in this passage, we see Herod's fear and paranoia and anxiety over the birth of Jesus come out in a crafty plan. He's troubled. And so he comes up with a plan. Verse 4. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And it seems like he's really interested in this Jesus guy. He's really interested in this star. And, he, and then he goes on in verse 7. Then Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now why did he do this secretly? I don't know for a fact, but my guess is if he had said, okay, well, let's make this public and let's find out where this king of the Jews is, all the people would hear about it and they would rush there too and then his doom as a ruler would be sealed. No, he wanted to do it secretly because he had an ulterior motive. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And these wise men, they're thinking, Wow, Herod really likes this new king that's been born. And they leave. But then they're warned by an angel, Hey, don't, don't go back to Herod. And Jesus and his family, they go to Egypt to escape what is about to happen, because in verse 16 we read, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. His trouble turned into anger. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. I mean, think about that. 
here is a man who rules over a group of people and he's saying everybody who's two, every man, every male who is two years old and under, I want you to slaughter them just to hold on to my position. Wow. So that's Herod's response. He was troubled by Jesus and he responded in anger and even in violence. What about us? Are we tempted to have a Herod response? I would say yes. Now, we're not kings of an area. We're probably not going to have somebody go out and try to kill little children. But there are ways in which we show a Herod response. Because we, we are troubled by Jesus when we realize he will disrupt our sense of power and control. Let that sink in for a minute. We're troubled by Jesus when we realize he will disrupt our sense of power and control. That's what happened with Herod. Herod realized, oh, my power may be going away. My control may be going away. Jesus is going to disrupt this. I have to do whatever I can to get rid of him. And that's what he tried to do. We live in a land that says we have inalienable rights. And these are our highest virtues as Americans. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? We all learned that as as little children. And so we think, life, my life, I have the right over my life, period. But the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one who calls the shots. Jesus has control. Jesus has the power. We do not. And what that means is that when our sense of control and power rubs up against Jesus' sense of control or power, there's going to be some sparks. Think about not just life, but even liberty. We think that freedom is one of the highest virtues that we can have as human beings. But Jesus says in Galatians 5.13, yeah, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus is telling us through his word that, yeah, freedom is important, but it's not as important as loving and serving other people. Sometimes you have to lay down your desires for the good of someone else. Again, Jesus disrupts our sense of power and control. What about the pursuit of happiness? I just did an entire sermon series on joy and how the Lord wants us to have joy. And yes, he wants us to be joyful, but he wants us to be joyful about the right things. 
And joy isn't the only thing that we pursue. In 2 Timothy 2.22, we read Paul writing to Timothy and he says, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. While we're pursuing joy, let's also make sure we're pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace. And if we're not pursuing those things, but we're only pursuing my joy, there's a problem. Again, Jesus is disrupting our sense of control, our sense of power. I know this to be true because it's true of me. I have Herod responses. You know, just this week, I was talking about how I was disappointed in uh, how many people showed up on Thanksgiving, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And I know people were traveling, people were sick, all kinds of things were going on. This isn't a guilt trip I'm trying to throw out on you in a backwards kind of way. No, I'm just telling, I was just saying how disappointed I was because I felt like we were making some great momentum and then it went, you know, for a Sunday. And the more I started preparing for the sermon, the more I realized, you know what, Stuart, some of that is you wanting to be in control. You want to have power. You want to be able to call the shots in the church. You want to be able to say, this is what we're going to do. And everybody says, yes, sir, and they do it. You want that kind of control and power. Admit it. And I had to say, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I am not in control of the church. You are, Jesus. I am not powerful over the church you are. I don't know what it might be for you, but every one of us has that thing, that area, where when Jesus starts to mess with it, we go, ooh, I don't want that. If you don't believe me, just think about one thing Just one thing that you go, man, that makes me so happy. Other than Jesus. All right, other than Jesus. That makes me so happy. What if Jesus said, I want you to give that up for me? You feel that feeling? That's the Herod response. I don't want to give that up. Oh, I know you're Lord. I know you're King. I know you get the call to shots, but I don't want to give that up. That's a Herod response. I don't want this sermon to be all bad news. And so I want you to turn you to the good news. Because when we're tempted to have this response to Jesus, and all of us are, we need to realize that His Lordship is best for us. It's best for us. You... You think that your lordship is best for you. I think that my lordship is best for me. But it's not. Jesus' lordship is what is best for us. If Jesus' claims are true, and I believe they are, 
then he is, as we said in, this very, in our confession this morning, very God of very God, the one through whom all the universe was created, which means you too. You were knit together in your mother's womb because of King Jesus. And if that is the kind of power and control that Jesus has over your life, he was the one who created you, don't you think he knows what's best for you? He's the one who wired you the way that you are. Don't you think he knows how you're supposed to run, how you're supposed to operate, what you're supposed to be like? He knows how we work best. He knows how we are to live going with the grain of the universe. But when we try to be our own lords, we go against that grain. And then we wonder why our lives are so miserable. It's because that Herod response saying, no, I want to do it my way. I want my power, my control, not yours, Jesus. But Jesus' lordship over us is the best for us. We've got it all backwards. And, and this is the very God of very God who put on flesh for us. And because we were languishing under the curse of sin, He came to seek and to save that which was lost, us. He came to take upon Himself that curse that we all have, the curse of sin, the curse that makes our lives miserable because we keep running from God rather running to Him. And Jesus comes to say, I'm going to reconcile you to God. I'm going to bring you back to your God. I'm going to enter into this mess that you've made. And I'm going to clean it up. Starting with you. Cleaning you up from your sin. He was willing to suffer and die for us, to reverse this curse, to take away our guilt and our shame, to restore us to a right relationship with our God, to establish a new creation that we are beginning, the part of the beginning of that, in order to make us live forever in joy and righteousness and peace and love for all eternity. That is Jesus to us. That's his lordship. That's his kingdom. And so when he says, hey, I know you're tempted to think my body, my choice. It is your body. You're right. But I'm the Lord over that body. And make sure that when you are doing something with your body, you're doing something that honors me. We may be tempted to say, I get to call the shots in my life, and if I think I'm a certain way, I should be able to live that certain way. And Jesus says, I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who created you. I know you in and out. I know everything about you. I know you better than you know yourself. Listen to me when I say, this is how you need to live. We often think, that the way that is right is the way that brings us the most power. 
If I'm in control, if I'm the one who calls the shots, if I'm the one who says this is the way it goes, we think it's better for us, but it's not because Jesus knows what is best for us and he has us on a trajectory that is so beautiful, so wonderful, so amazing. We can't comprehend it. Why would we turn away from the path of greatness to a path of shame and guilt and pain and suffering? Why would anyone do that? Do you hear what I am saying to you? The Herod response is a response that will lead you the way it led Herod to his death. But the response to Jesus of faith, the response, the humble reception of him as king, that leads us to a life of joy and righteousness and peace and love and goodness, and all kinds of things that we just cannot even quantify. And all because Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sits enthroned and all of heaven bows before him, loves us. And he went way out of his way to show us. Dying for our sins, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, sitting down at the right hand of God the Father, and one day he will return to make everything new. That's good news for all of us. And so your action point for today, if you like action points, here's one for you. Learn to recognize and resist the Herod response in your life. Learn to recognize and resist the Herod response to your life. And if you're still thinking, I don't know what that response is, again, at Christmas time, just pick something. What if Jesus said, I want you to give up getting gifts this year? What if he said that? Now, all of us are going, well, that's not in Scripture. That's not in Scripture. <laughs> but I, I'm just asking a hypothetical. Would you willingly say, I, I would readily and willingly give up my right to have presence in order to serve you, Jesus, whatever you want. Is that our response? Just let your thoughts go to Jesus is my highest treasure and he is worth giving up everything else. As the, the parable of the, the treasure that's buried in a field, the guy sells everything in order to have that field because he knows the treasure is beyond comprehension. Jesus is a treasure beyond comprehension. And so everything else 
is second, third, fourth, further down compared to him. Right? So if Jesus says, I want you to do this, and we have resistance, that's a Herod response. Learn to recognize that and then resist it. How do you resist it? It's not easy, but it's doable by the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's what you do. Ready? I want you to look at me because this is a writ. You ready? This is not going to be on the screen. Up here. Ready? Jesus, I know my response right now is a Herod response. It's not the right response. Forgive me. And Holy Spirit, will you give me what I need to respond the right way? That's it. That's it. If you really want that, there's no way Jesus would not give you what you've asked for. Because Jesus wants that in your life more than you do. So that's all. Recognize the Herod response and then resist it by saying, Jesus, forgive me for this response. Holy Spirit, give me the right response. That's it. That's all you really need to live by faith and repentance and obedience to Jesus. Next week we'll be looking at the wise men, which will be a a much more, you know, joyous occasion. But I don't want us to skip too fast. Sometimes you need to hear the negative in order to really appreciate the positive. Sometimes we need to hear the bad news in order to understand the good news. And sometimes we need our sin pointed out to us in order to see just how good Jesus really is. And I hope that you've at least seen a glimpse of that today. So, by the power of the Spirit, let's grow in living in light of the Lordship of Jesus. And let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Lord Jesus, I know that it is so hard for me at times to always say yes to you. Forgive me. Holy Spirit, help me to always say yes to you and no to anything else that you tell me to say no to. And I pray that not only for myself, but for all of these folks that every one of us, that we would not have a Herod response, but that we would have a response with faith, with love, a response of obedience, a response of serving you. Help us to do this, Lord Jesus, for your glory, for our good, and even for the good of people around us. Amen.